0: The following program contains bad language and some of the content may not be suitable for young people. You're listening to McUniverse. (laughs) McUniverse. Hi, I'm Dan McHugh and this is McUniverse, a podcast where I encourage you to entertain ideas that you wouldn't normally allow yourself to consider. Recently, a lot of us have been in quarantine, social distancing... Trapped in our homes and there's a meme floating around the internet that says, if you can't go outside, go inside. I hope you've all been doing some self-reflection and having some inner journeys. If you haven't, it may be a missed opportunity. Anyway, this episode, it's about meditation. I've drank a lot of things, I've I've smoked some things, I've tried some things, and nothing will get you higher. (laughs) Nothing
1: will get you more under the influence, more intoxicated, than the Holy Ghost. She.
0: Think about this. We live in a world defined by three spatial dimensions and one dimension of time. So we can move up and down, left and right, forward and back. But have you ever truly thought about time as a dimension? We seem to only be able to move forward. forward, forward, forward. But what if the construct of time disappeared? you'd be free to move in any direction through it. Every moment could actually be an eternity in itself. So what if there are living beings, animals, creatures, that are not confined by the parameters of time? It's possible that they'd view us the same way we view a two-dimensional object like a piece of paper. The human race could quite possibly be caught up in a flat construct, marching forward like a blur trapped in time. A while back, I was working in an open office and people started talking about meditation. They seem to have all of these different views on the word, saying things like running is my meditation. Singing is my meditation. And one person even said, and I quote, drinking wine is my meditation. Later that day, I heard one of the managers talking about mindfulness and how it can be applied in the workplace. Look, I think people can have opinions and say whatever the hell they want, but would you call eating an orange bike riding because you enjoy doing both of them on the weekend? I think the answer is no, but you can call eating an orange whatever the hell you like. It's just that meditation and mindfulness are actual things. Rory Kinsella is a Vedic meditation teacher and he's the creator of the online course, We Meditate to Quit Alcohol. Recently, I caught up with him in Sydney Centennial Park for a chat about what mindfulness and meditation
2: really are. Mindfulness is one of those words that's basically become meaningless. But in a more technical sense, mindfulness is a specific branch of meditation from the Buddhist tradition. So things like Headspace would be mindfulness meditation, and they are based around bringing your awareness into the present moment. So you can do that in the meditation experience by bringing your awareness to, say, the breath, But then I guess mindfulness separated from meditation is more trying to do that same practice, but doing whatever you're doing. So you can do mindful washing the dishes or mindful painting or mindful having a conversation. And I guess it just means that you're not in your thoughts where you're normally just going, oh, what am I going to say next? You know, or what am I going to watch on the TV later? You're, You're paying attention. So I guess it's it's a way of saying, hey, pay attention. And I guess that's why businesses like it, because it's it's like, hey, <laughs> you know, do more work, like get with the program. But yeah, it's interesting for me because the type of meditation I teach is, is called Vedic meditation, and, and it's not from that tradition. And I guess the key differences that, that I normally talk about are that a lot of the mindful meditations, they came from this buddhist tradition that i mentioned but they were often designed to be practiced by monks so there's a kind of strictness and austerity to the practice so you'll often be asked to sit upright and you know be still and there's an idea of focus and concentration and if you go to like a monastery you know in tibet or something you would see the strict discipline being enforced where the the head monk will go around and they'll hit you if you move. And or into the, you know, the ten day silent retreat, that kind of whole thing of no, this is hard, this is disciplined. Whereas the 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 tradition that I teach from, which is called Vedic, which is more linked with Hinduism rather than Buddhism, although it's, you know, it's not necessary to have any religious outlook on this it was more designed for what we call we call them householders so householders are people like you and me who have relationships jobs ambitions you know we're not on a strict spiritual path where we're trying to find god we just want something that will help us relax something that will help us connect with the deepest part of ourselves something which will give us more energy People will say things like, yeah, rock climbing is my meditation or running is my meditation. And I always say that those things, they can be meditative and they can put you in the zone or take you out of your thoughts, but they're not formal meditation. Formal meditation is I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to deliberately bring my awareness away from my thoughts onto something neutral. So the most obvious ways of doing that are using the breath or in the practice that I teach, use a, a mantra. I guess why people think that is they're using it as a term to mean relaxation. And that's not to say that lots of other things aren't relaxing or aren't gonna do you good or aren't gonna give you some of the benefits of meditation. Because if you think of the benefits of meditation as being de-stressing you and helping you relax, then you know going surfing or rock climbing, maybe not drinking wine, but I mean, it will get you part of the way, but then it will give you unwanted byproducts of that then you, know, you can see where people get the two confused. But yeah, I think it's definitely important to, to say that meditation involves you distancing yourself from outside stimuli.
0: In the first episode of McUniverse, I conveyed the idea that people should give themselves a break from outside stimuli, such as the news, especially if you're feeling stressed or anxious about the world. I asked Rory what his thoughts about this are and how meditation might help people gain a better perspective.
2: Yeah, so there's definitely a point where we can have too much stimulation and it's, I guess the point about the the situation we're in now is that no one knows what's going on and that's a perfect recipe for people to speculate. So all the news media, Apart from, the, you know, the hard facts of this is the number of people who have it or, you know, this is the number of people who died. The rest is kind of speculation. Anything about what will happen in the future is pure speculation. And the news media, they're the same as the rest of us. They're going to play that story out. And if you consume too much of that, then you're going to get stressed and anxious. And where meditation comes in is that it's the world's best known antidote to stress. So stress can cause all sorts of conditions. There are estimates that say that stress either causes or exacerbates 80% of medical conditions. So taking that out and reversing that stress chemistry is going to make you more physically fit and it's going to help your immune system, but it's going to make you feel better. So one way to look at it would be to say that when you're in the thick of things in life, it's kind of like being in the front row of a cinema. And if you're unfortunate enough to be in the front row of a cinema, it's super loud, the screen is huge, like you can't really see what's going on. You just see someone's hand or you just see, you know, you can't really make out what's going on. And that can be confusing and disorientating. So what meditation does is it helps you move back in the cinema, it helps you move back 10, 15 rows so that you're still in there. You're not taking yourself out completely, going out of the cinema, going over the road into a cave. You're still in the cinema, but you can get a better picture of what's going on. It's not quite so loud. You can see how all the, the pieces move. And we're able to do this by removing ourselves from that stimulation. So by sitting and investing time in a formal meditation practice, which could take anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, that is going to calm you down. So it's going to calm you down. One in that it's going to stop you thinking about these things which are prompting your anxiety, but two, it's gonna physically slow you down. So when you're meditating, your heart rate will drop, your blood pressure will drop, your oxygen intake will drop. And this means that you're gonna calm down and that your, whatever thought patterns you were in and these kind of circular thought patterns that we all keep going through, get into these ruts about, you know, are we going too far or actually are we all gonna die? Like we just kind of keep going through these loops. When we meditate, we, we change the way that our mind works and we open up these new neural pathways by having this, this neutral thought that we're doing, which is either paying attention to the breath or in my practice, we think a mantra and that calms us down. It changes the way we think so that when we come out, we're more able to have this greater perspective. So we're several rows back in the cinema, or if you want to change the analogy, it's like we're going up into a helicopter view. So rather than being down in the action, you you get that greater perspective. Allows you to have this more kind of calm and wise viewpoint where you're not ignoring what's going on but you're not allowing it to, to control you. So, people make a lot of claims about
0: meditation and how good it is for you. So I wanted to gain insight on meditation from a clinical perspective. I got in touch with Dr. Sarah Lazar. She's an associate researcher in the psychiatry department at Massachusetts General Hospital. She's also an assistant professor in psychology at Harvard Medical School.
3: Look, In the clinical realm, it's pretty well established now that meditation is very useful for decreasing symptoms of depression and preventing relapse of depression. It's also good for reducing stress and certain types of anxiety. It's also good for reducing symptoms with a variety of other conditions, but I think the research there varies quite a bit. There haven't been as many studies and as many well-done studies or as large studies. So I'd say in general, what we're seeing is that it's usually not a complete cure. It's a reduction in symptoms. So you still have symptoms, but they're just not quite as as, um, intense. And also, one of the big things, and this is really important, is you have a change in your relationship to your symptoms. And this is really, really important, um, especially for things like depression and pain. Um, Because the pain, if you're someone with chronic pain, chronic pain does not go away. You know, No matter how much you meditate, that pain, you might get a little less, but that chronic pain is always going to be there. But oftentimes, people with chronic pain, they say, you know, the pain just rules my life. And they like they, they plan their whole lives around the pain. And with meditation, they learn to sort of get distance from it and detach from it a bit. And so it's no longer ruling their life. And so they're just much more able to enjoy their life because the pain is not the central focus of their life anymore. You know, same sometimes with depression. is like, you know, those thoughts are still there, but like you just, you're laughing at those thoughts and you know, they just don't control you the way they used to. So it really is, it's a new outlook on life, which is really hugely important. In terms of the brain, I would say one thing that we've now shown in three different studies is that the amygdala gets smaller and that the change in the amygdala correlates with changes in stress. So the more stress reduction people report, the smaller their amygdala becomes. And the amygdala is the main fight or flight part of the brain. So this is consistent with this idea that the amygdala getting smaller is that there's less fear, less, you know, um, less of these, you know, these sorts of negative emotions. Another fairly well-established fact is that something called the default mode network gets turned off during meditation. The default mode network is the network and the uh, parts of the brain that are most associated with the sense of eye. So again, this, you know losing the sense of eye. And so these tend to get turned down during meditation. And also they seem to be sort of less active even when you're not meditating, which is again, as consistent with this, you know, I'm not, it's all not all about me. So those are probably the two most well-established changes in the brain. And then there have been some other ones as well, but those, I'd say those are, are two of the
0: bigger ones. Wow. The sense of I diminishes. That's very Zen. And I would suggest that this world needs more people meditating. We'll come back to this idea in a moment. Dr. Lazar mentioned things like depression and chronic pain. Not all of us carry these sorts of pain. So I asked her how an everyday office worker might benefit from meditation.
3: We all have deadlines. We all have, you know, that coworker or that boss that drives us nuts. And so, just having the skills tremendously helps you deal with stress. Just thirty seconds of meditation, and I can let go some of that that anxiety, and I'm able to resettle, refocus, and you know, really finish the the work by the deadline without just being totally oh my god, oh my god, oh my the whole time. Right? It's just it's really helps you. It does help you focus in that regard uh, you know, by dealing with the stress. And then there's also a lot more evidence growing about the ability of meditation to help in a variety of different cognitive functions. So definitely sustained attention. There's growing evidence that working memory is um, impacted. So there's short-term memory, which is sort of like remembering a shopping list, right? So it's just something that you have to remember for like an hour or two. Working memory is having some facts and figures and then being able to use that you know, manipulate them and do something with them. You know, so I give you a shopping list and I say, okay, hey, would be a good uh, meal to make with these, right? And so then I had to think about how to, you know, how to manipulate those ingredients to make a a meal. So so meditation seems to help with that and with tuning out distractions, which again makes a lot of sense because that's what we do when we
0: meditate. So there we have it. The science is in. Meditation is good for you. But is it always One thing we never hear about is whether there are any bad side effects of meditation. When dealing with the mind, altered states or even changing our brain, we always need to be careful. I spoke with Dr. Willoughby Britton, who is an Assistant Professor of Psychiatry and Human Behaviour at Brown University Medical School, an Assistant Professor of Behaviour and Social Sciences in Brown University's School of Public Health, and the Director of Brown's Clinical and Effective Neuroscience Laboratory. And she says that there's a lot of misinformation about mindfulness floating around.
4: There's so much absolute nonsense garbage out there that is just circulating and recirculating about mindfulness that's out there.
0: Meditation can go wrong for some people and can have some undesirable effects. I asked Willoughby what those effects might be.
4: For most people who meditate an hour a day or so, I think the most common ones are things like just anxiety, agitation, insomnia, things that look like a hyper arousal of the nervous system. You may also see like twitches or involuntary movements, things like that. You also see the opposite, which is hypo arousal or dissociation. So things like feeling like you don't exist or feeling like you don't have any boundaries or that you don't recognize yourself in the mirror or you don't feel like your own body is yours or that you're not the author of your own movements. So those are all dimensions of dissociation. Ironically, there's more than one type of oneness. You can be, I am everything and I am nothing are both types of no self and types of unity, but one is pretty terrible and the other is
0: wonderful. So So that idea of the sense of I or sense of self has come up again. It seems that for some people, the diminishing of the self is empowering and it makes you feel connected to the rest of the world. So there is no I, but there is us, or there is everything. But the other side of the spectrum, and this is just me ruminating on the idea, but it would seem that it makes people feel disconnected from everything. So there is no I, and in turn, there is nothing. Ouch. Okay. So you don't actually need to be scared of meditation because the good news is, if things go wrong, the damage can be repaired.
4: You're not a fixed entity. You can actually cultivate different qualities of mind and heart and behavior. And that's the most exciting part of this whole story. Neuroplasticity is also a neutral process, meaning that you can practice something, you can overpractice it, but changing your brain is not always a good thing. So the other good news about experience-dependent neuroplasticity is that if you meditated your way into it, it is reversible. Nothing is permanent and nothing is, you know, you've never, there's no event horizon once you pass something that you can't, you can't reverse it. So yes, there is recovery. And I recommend that people go to cheetahhouse.org, cheetah, like the animal, house, like a house.org. And pretty much it's the one-stop hub for all things meditation-related problems. The actual process of recovery, you know, it's different for everyone because everyone has different symptoms, has different goals. But we tend to refer people to trauma-based approaches just because the trauma-based approaches tend to be very good at rehabilitating people who have dysregulated nervous systems and have very a lot of detailed information about dysregulated nervous systems so that's kind of the models that we use
0: if you want to know more about meditation going wrong i'll throw some links in the show notes for you so you can look further into it i believe some pretty strange things can happen The one that stood out the most was your ability to think conceptually can diminish. So an example is if you're driving up to a traffic light and it's red, you can see that the colour is red, but you can't connect red with the idea that it's signalling you to stop. I think people should be more interested in meditation. Go inside your own mind and explore. It's good for you and you never know what kind of experience you might have. We're constantly being bombarded with information and input, TV, music, social media, Netflix, the news. Just a side note here, people seem to think that watching the news and being up to date with the 24 hour news cycle makes you clever. This could not be further from the truth. That cycle is a system that tells you what to think about. And a lot of the time, it tells you how you should think about it. It's not clever. So there are all sorts of meditation, and people use it for many things. Health, relaxation, spiritual development, and more. I could probably do about 10 episodes just on meditation practices. Something that I like to recommend to people is that they look up the Munro Institute. They do courses, and they also create audio meditations using binaural beats and some other technologies. The original meditations with Robert Monroe are by far the best and can be used for relaxation, healing, going deep inside your mind and some other stuff. Some people even say they have an experience where they leave their body. But we'll come back to astral travel and out-of-body experiences in a later episode. A friend of mine named Anthony, some people call him Fu. is a cool guy. He's part of a meditation group that meets up regularly to help spirits cross over. I have a very limited understanding of how they do that. So here is Anthony explaining just one of the types of experiences that might happen if you attend this sort of meditation group.
5: Sometimes at the beginning of a meditation class, you'll sit there and, um, and look around the room and you see things. You, know, you might see someone standing with a person And it's kind of hard to explain how you see them, but I can just see them standing there. You know, I can specifically remember a guy, it was actually around Anzac time, and I remember seeing him standing in front of me with my eyes closed in my mind's eye. Across the room, he was a Turkish soldier, and he was suffering from what happened at Gallipoli because he was still cut up about the fact that... You know, there was a time when they were fighting and then there was a time when they weren't fighting and then they got to play cricket and be friends with the other soldiers that were, you know, their opponents or the people that they were fighting against. And then, um, you know, the war started again and he was really sad because his um, commanding officer made him shoot his friends. And, um, you know, that's something that has always stuck with me. And you know, like like I guess for me, my contribution to him was to tell him that you know it wasn't his fault, and he shouldn't be sad about it because it's just a time in the earth, and it happened. And we call it a rescue where you help them go to their loved ones on the other side. And it's an amazing experience.
0: Recently, I caught up with a man named Steve McDonald. He's a futurist. And he's the executive director of a body named the Agency for Advanced Development of Integrative Intelligence. They're a non-profit organisation whose charter is to improve human coping capacity and quality of life for all life in the face of unprecedented global changes and accelerated disruptive change. Steve has been meditating for a long time. He's also had some pretty interesting experiences.
1: I had some reasonably extreme altered state experiences during meditation alone. When I first began, I was doing just the standard kind of sitting, closed-eye meditation, but fairly quickly within the space of a few months, I transitioned to an open-eyed moving meditation, which is a Taoist martial arts practice. And in the early stages of practicing that, I had some really, really interesting hallucinations, like just standing in a stationary qigong posture outdoors, and seeing the ground start to ripple as if it was the ocean. So my first experience with interdimensional beings happened before I had tried any kind of psychoactive uh, medicine. I was at a conference once and I met a woman there who practiced a type of healing which was based on information from an interdimensional race associated with the star system Arcturus, which is in the Boots constellation. And she recommended that I read a book about the Arcturians, and so I did. Uh, and I found it very interesting, and it was the book was called We the Arcturians, and it spoke about the long-term process of the evolution of human consciousness and how these interdimensional beings were supporting it. And then my first contact with them came in a dream after reading that book where I I had one of those dreams that is a standout. You know, it's not like a normal dream. It feels more real and more clear. And and in that dream, I was taken aboard an Arcturian ship and taken on a flyby of the sun, our sun, quite close. And the entire side of the the ship became like a window and I could see up close all of the bubbling plasma and dynamics on the sun and and that was really my first contact and then um, once I had a psychedelic experience with ayahuasca when I revisited that after a while and, and had more experiences I found that I started to have contact with these same interdimensional beings in the medicine space. And it started out as a kind of a a curiosity and then it progressed after a while to healing processes where they were doing work with light uh, to carry out healing on me, on my body. And I was able to to witness that and understand what they were doing. Their communication process is different than ours. It's, It's quite a different paradigm. And so I don't hear words. It's it's always just like an instant knowing, but I've certainly you know I've 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 had visual you know in an, in the interdimensional uh, realm uh, in an altered state I've been able to see them on many different occasions and sometimes I've been able to see their their uh, what what I would call their their ships interdimensional spaceships I guess they've always appeared to me as humanoid in shape but glowing light rather than looking like they're made of any other material. It's just like a a glowing light in the shape of a humanoid, yeah.
0: I think it might feel like we've covered meditation thoroughly, but actually we've only just scratched the surface. The stories we heard from Fu and Steve, they might seem out of the norm, but these stories are much more common than you'd realise. I may have made meditation seem like it's this crazy thing and it can be, I mean, it, it does seem to be a gateway to spirituality and, and different experiences. But what I think it really does is it gives a deeper insight into what it actually means to be human. Going inside your own mind is a journey that not enough of us take. And why is that, do you think? No, seriously, I'd like to hear your answer. Please come and find me online via Instagram, uh, which is at McUniverse Podcast, or you can send me an email. Dan at DanMcHugh.com.au I can't thank my guests enough for being part of the show. Thank you to Rory Kinsella, Sarah Lazar, Willoughby Britton, Anthony Miller and Steve McDonald. I'll throw links and articles in the show notes and that'll give you an opportunity to follow them up. Also, special thanks goes to Kula Segaram Sanchayan, whose voice you can hear at the beginning of the show. Another voice you can hear is Hus Habib or Huss from Marrickville, legend, thank you. Thanks to Torsten Wiedemann for your help in organising guests and also thank you to Tom Joss for your help with development and research. Make sure you join me for the next episode of McUniverse where we venture into the kitchen where people are cooking up all sorts of potions. Catch you next time.